One's from the trailer park, one's from the farm. Rings on their fingers, no babies on their arms. Taking life with a grain of salt and lime. Living, loving, laughing, we're having a good time. Nothing too deep won't tell you how to vote. Two stand-up comics with stories from the road. We're cutting up, really. Hey, Hannah Hogan here, back from Washington State. And I'm feeling good. All right, we got a hot podcast coming up. Uh, Still no real teaser, but we're back. We're both back and in studio. My name's Dusty Slay. My name's Hannah Hogan. This is the We're Having Having a a Good Good Time Time Podcast. Right. Well, what? What a whirlwind, Dusty. We have really been through it. Who um, are we even? I don't even know. Because the, I mean, we moved. We moved. We moved apartments. We're back on the west side now. We, we technically we moved cities. We were in Hendersonville, and now we live in Nashville. Yeah, we lived on the west side for a long time. My my entire time that I've lived in Nashville since early 2014 has been in the west side except for a year that i spent in hendersonville yeah and it feels like that i've come back home yeah you were telling me that the other day it feels like you've returned i mean i went to the Publix on this side of town and it just made me happy it's not necessarily a better Publix than what was in hendersonville i think it's worse it is a worse Publix. it's because it's busier but and and but it is just less it makes me feel accommodation. good to be in there. Yeah. The Kroger feels a little more dangerous. Yeah. But it makes me feel good to be in there. It feels like you're amongst the people when you have a little danger walking around. I like a I like stuff that's a little shady. Yeah, I like do I, too. Like I don't want it to be so shady that I feel unsafe. But that's how I, that's how I felt marrying you. I don't want to feel too safe. Yeah. You know. Did you get what I said? Yeah, I heard you. and And i feel disoriented because we moved we started to move at the end of february because we got into our new place early but didn't have to be out of our old place until the end of march so i would move you know books and cups and two weeks before i went to my trip on washington state i was just staying in our new apartment but with nothing in it it sort of felt like a crack house a nice crack house because there was no furniture in it. Oh, in the new place. In this new place. Yeah. And Dusty was gone a lot. So I was just by myself, just kind of staring at blank walls and thinking about myself and my life and stuff like that. And then I went to Washington State for 10 days. And then I come back and I'm in a new home. And then the furniture's all here and the husband's here. And I just feel a little disoriented, honestly. Well, it feels great in here. I mean, to be I mean, to be completely honest with you, I feel great in here. I feel from the moment that I moved into this new place, 
I felt great. We also got a new bed, I think, is also playing well, into we've the got, bed. We got our studio here now, and we have, um, you know, foam on the wall to help keep the echo down. This is mm-hmm. the first time we had, you know, we in our old place, we had the studio set up in the spare bedroom, which is what we have now, but we had a bed in there. And now we just took the bed out. There's yeah. No, there's no bed in here. We moved the studio to our dining room area and in the old place. And now we got our own special studio here for the We're Having a Good Time podcast. And we are going to start filming it, but we're just not ready. Yeah, and we apologize for the couple weeks off that we didn't have any podcasts, but we don't have assistance. And, you know, I have more free time than Dusty, but I don't really do anything. She doesn't utilize it. <laughs> yeah, I just sleep and I journal. Mean, yeah, I mean, so. <laughs> so, I mean, he can't expect me to. You know, get the podcast going. I mean, he should expect it, but it's. Well, it's, uh, I'm a realist, yeah. and uh, and I know what's going on here. Yeah, but we're we're excited. We've been on the road a bunch. We've been traveling a bunch. Hannah was gone for ten days, and now she's back. So let's get right into the where we've been, where we're going segment. Where we've been, where we're going. Where they going? Where they been? Where they going? Where, where they been? Where we're going? Where we've been? Okay, Hannah, uh, why don't you start a little bit telling us about what you just did? Okay, so I set up a ten day tour with some comic friends, Sophia Alexandra and Christine Little, and we had been on a tour last summer around the southeast, and we wanted to do it again, but we wanted to go somewhere different, so. We set up uh, a a handful of dates in Washington State. And so we went to the Northwest. And it was my first time in the Northwest. And it was really cool. I really liked it. It was really pretty. There's a lot of scenery. There's less people up there, I think, on the Pacific Coast than in the uh, Midwest, Southeast. And um, So you did all shows in Washington State. Yeah. And your first one, not in Seattle. You went off in the country a little bit of Washington. You you showed me some pictures, yeah. uh, some very pretty landscape. Well, we pretty much had road gigs on the weekend, and then we did shows in Seattle and Tacoma uh, during the weekday because that's kind of how it works is you get – I mean, we didn't have any club dates in Seattle, so we, we got you know road work on the weekends and stuff like that. Which is great. It was really cool, you know, and it, and I was nervous to go up to Washington State because my whole act is basically something that I've written since living in the Southeast. And I always heard that Seattle and Washington and that side of the country was uh, more PC. And, you know, it's kind of funny. I think I'm so edgy, but I'm not edgy. So, you know, I went up there. I'm like, oh, they're going to like my Canadian jokes. Oh, man, I don't know. They might probably be too... Too risque for them, and then I was just, you know, completely well, relatable. And I think it's natural to think like that. I go to places, and I think when I when I venture into new territory, like when I started doing shows in Arizona, I thought people were going to be like, "Go back to the south," you yeah. know what I mean? Because and and it's like uh, it's completely the opposite. People were like, people loved it, you know. And I, I even said, you know, it's like. Uh, there's so many like Hispanic people in Arizona and Texas that are at the shows that I just don't do a lot of shows for that it's intimidating and it's like uh, they loved my comedy I had no it's like I didn't worry that they were gonna like hate me I worried that they were not gonna like like my jokes 
And then it was the complete opposite. Like these two guys at the club in, that worked the door at the club in, in uh, uh, San Antonio, I mean, they bought my shirts. They bought my hats. One guy, he was rocking both the shirt and the hat by the end of the weekend. And I was like, this is fantastic. Yeah, it's so important to not judge I, I think it's really important not, I don't, to, I don't not to judge what other people tell you about a person or a place. I think if you haven't experienced them or I don't think the environment judge, before, you shouldn't judge them. I don't think judging is the right word. You're not judging someone if you're unsure about the reaction you're going to get. I think that's what the problem is. Everybody thinks that we're judging everybody all the time, and it's like – you know, it's natural to have reservations, to have questions, to wonder about things that you don't know things about. I don't think you're judging them if you if you. I think though, I think some people do judge, and I think that gets sure. them into problems. I remember one time sure. I was uh, set to work with this headliner, and uh, he had come through the club before, so my friends had worked with him before, and they told me, you know, this guy's really weird. He's really standoffish, and you know, he's just kind of a weirdo, right? And I feel like I went into that weekend uh, standoffish to him because of what I had been told about him. And I remember after the weekend concluded, I thought, you know what? I wasn't as open with him or as friendly with him that I would be every other circumstance. But because I let those opinions of someone else infiltrate my mind, it sort of filtered the way that I treated him. And, and that was a really good lesson for me to not you know, have give so much power to what other people say about someone or a place because you just have to experience it yourself. Yeah, you know, back in the day, I used to eat a lot of fast food and I really liked Taco Bell. Yeah. And uh, my friend was like, I don't like Taco Bell. I think Taco Bell's gross. And then suddenly in my head, I started to think that Taco Bell was gross. And then I didn't eat it for a long time. And it wasn't because anything happened. It was because my friend said it was gross and it got in my head. Yeah, I think that happens a lot. I think I've, I even experienced that moving from Canada to the south. And then a video, a story came out where a guy had taken a whole stack of hard-shell tacos at Taco Bell and licked all the way up the side, licking all the tacos and confirming that my friend was right about it being gross. Oh, <laughs> yeah, but so you know, sometimes you found your judgments out that can be correct. They can be, but I think you need to have that for yourself. Right. You know, totally. I mean, but I think that, you know, everybody gets so worried about being judgmental or being ignorant of something that they're afraid to even admit when they don't know something. And I think that it's so weird. It's like, uh, how how do you learn things if there's not things that you don't know? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, we can't all be expected to just have our horizons expanded as far as they can go. You know, and we're always learning new things. Like, I've never been to Washington. And yes, you do hear that about Washington, like, especially the Seattle area, about how, how PC it is and how, how like, um, you know, how, how the culture is. And you think, ooh, uh, what jokes could I tell? You know, even like hearing about stuff like colleges, people saying, you know, like, I guess Chris Rock and Jerry Seinfeld were like, I don't do colleges anymore because it's too PC. Right. And it's like, but we've done colleges. Uh, you know, I did NACA, and it's like, I thought it was fine. A guy made fun of me a little bit from the audience, but that's not the first time I've been made fun of while on stage by a college kid. You know, I did when I lived in Charleston, my friend Evan Burke was supposed to host 
a my friend and your friend Evan Burke was supposed to host this fraternity sorority thing like a mixer and he couldn't do it so he called me and I was like yeah I'll do it and then I had this joke where the I would, the setup would be I had this girl over at my house the other night and this guy so I said the joke I go I had this girl over at my house the other night and this guy goes no you didn't <laughs> that's hilarious it is funny. That's a good heckle. That's like when you're like, okay, heckling's allowed. When your timing and your brevity is that on point. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, you know, the other thing that I, I've learned doing stand-up and, you know, going around the country is that moods change. The zeitgeist changes. And jokes that used to crush and were generally beloved by all audiences all of a sudden they get a different reaction. I found that I had a joke where I'm like, uh, my husband's from Alabama, so he hits me. And Hilarious. I said that joke for maybe two years, and it was you know, really well received. And I've basically stopped doing it now. I mean, I haven't done it for months, but the last time I did it was at a show with Arsenio Hall, and a woman waited for when I was done selling merch to come up to me and chastise me for saying this. And and I well, was the funniest thing about that joke is how true it is. You know what I mean? <laughs> and you know, I, the thing is, is I would be more defensive of someone telling me what I can and cannot say if I believed that it was an important joke in my repertoire. But I don't need that joke. It's a pretty standard deflection a side joke it's not something i need and it's not something i'm gonna fight for i'll tell you somebody else that didn't like that joke uh and that was your family oh yeah (laughs) (laughs) that's true i said that joke in my hometown when dusty and i were doing a show in my hometown it was the first time that many people in my family met him so they didn't laugh at it and i get it like you know i get it you know so and then there's i've had jokes where i make fun of fat women and my friends have my female comedy friends have called me out on it. A couple ladies after shows have, you know, let me know what they think. And I ultimately appreciate the feedback because, you know, I'm not the comic that's like Anthony Jesselnick. Like, I'm out here and I'm trying to push the buttons like that's not who I am and it's not who I am as a person. So, you know, sometimes you write things and they are funny. So you say them. But um you know, I it, it, I like I like having I like taking pause and, and reexamining what I'm saying and reexamining whether I can make it better or if I can let it go because I've matured and grown as a writer and as a performer and I no longer need those jokes. And, you know, I think that that's a healthy dialogue. And everybody that's come up to me has said it to me in a respectful way, but also in an annoying way where you're like, geez, just, you know, don't come to a comedy show if you can't laugh. That's what you want to say. But at the same time. You know, I, I do take into consideration what people say. Well, yeah. I mean, I think that a lot of times what's considered PC is just, like, not saying things that are mean. Like, you can still be edgy, but it's, like, some things that people say are just, like, mean, and it's, like... Well, the thing about the Alabama, my husband's from Alabama, so he hits me joke. It used to crush, and it would it would crush every audience, and, and people would laugh so hard. And then in the last year, year and a half... I would notice that it would get like, ooh, like people wouldn't like it. Like collectively an audience wouldn't like it. And that 
informs me that you know the the mood of the country is changing the temperament what we what we as a society feel free to laugh at or think is funny has changed and i and i I think that's true i mean of course that's why you can watch comedians from 20 years ago and think oh my god he is so off base on this he's so offensive but i think the thing is it's like it does change but it's not like some things become things you can't talk about and then new things open up that you can talk about. Just more things get shut down. So it's like there just becomes less to talk about. But the great thing for me is I've always been sensitive to those types of things with people. So uh, when things change like that, it doesn't uh, – You know, I'm like already – like I'm already worried about hurting people's feelings. I'm not worried about offending people. I'm worried about hurting people's feelings. People that are offended uh, most of the time are just being ridiculous. But people that get their feelings hurt, that's a different thing. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean I don't know. It's always women that correct me. It's always women that come up to me and say you shouldn't say this, you shouldn't say that. So I don't really know what to do with that. Well, that's what makes it so hard for women a lot of times. But because I'm a woman, I understand their pain and their – upset with certain content and so i can't ignore that i empathize with them and that maybe as a female performer i should you know be a more positive of voice for for you know edifying audiences instead of you know staying in a zone that is unhelpful or unproductive for, right, but it, for women voices. It would be one thing, though, if you dwelt on it and you were like, my husband beats me and I love it. <laughs> I like it. I think more women should go through it. Yeah. But instead, you just make a quick aside. I mean, the person that should be the most offended by it would be people that are from Alabama being like, oh, that's a stereotype that only people from Alabama beat their wives. You know. Well, I think women that have been beaten are probably offended by it. I just don't understand why they would be offended by it. I don't know. I mean, I think about this a lot with uh, like female comedians that are famous, like Amy Schumer, Whitney Cummings, Chelsea Handler, um, Sarah Silverman. They all have become very loud voices of feminism, uh, political activism, and I. It, a lot of times, I'm sort of like just. What, like, why are you so obsessed with all this stuff? But I, then I think, well, think about the pressure I feel as someone that's not famous at all um, to do right by women and to be a positive, strong uh, role model for, for people that are watching me. And then you think that they they know they have this platform. And I feel like they probably have an onus on them to to make change. It's kind of almost like egotistic in a way to think that I'm can incha- I can imbue change because I'm famous. But I think it's also a guilt where it's like if I don't do it, then I'm squandering this platform that I have. You know, I think well, it's 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 a weird kind of duality that a lot of male comics don't really think about. I normally don't get my advice for life from comedians. Yeah, but I mean, but, you know, people follow someone on Instagram, and your whole thing is about your political activism and your change, and then you, they listen to you on podcasts, and they're like, right. "Oh, okay." That may, that's so boring to me. Yeah, what I know. About, um, well, tell me about the person that you saw in the coffee shop. You had just bought a new oh, hat. Yeah. Story time with Dusty and Hannah. So I'm in Seattle, right? And so I have this idea that Seattle's super like liberal and PC, and I'm just thinking, you know, I'm a Canadian Southerner, and <laughs> I'm not going to fit in or whatever. 
So I had bought this hat. But your mind had been changed. You thought there's so, yeah. so such a way and your mind had been changed and you were feeling very good about it. And then you bought this hat. I bought a hat. It was like 10 bucks. And I had a little fluffy thing on the top, fake fur, right? And I'm wearing this hat and we go into a Starbucks. The hat's red. It's got red. a little fur ball on the top. Yeah, it's fun. It's cute. So I'm getting compliments everywhere I go on this. And then I'm just in Starbucks and we're waiting for our drinks to come through. And uh, then this like big burly punk lady with straight edge crosses on her hands and tats all up her arms and stuff. And she's got this like leather jacket punk thing going on. And she just looks like 90s Seattle uh, grunge, you know. And, uh, and she just turns to me and she goes, you know, you got a dead dog on your head. And I was taken back, so I said, uh, what? And she's like, you got a dead dog. That's a dead dog on your head right there. And I said, it's fake fur. She's like, no, it's not. No, it's not. And I said, it is. And then my friends come to my rescue, and they start saying, like, what are you even talking about? Even if it was real fur, it's not a dog. And she goes, oh, dogs are part of the canine family. What do you think a dog is part of the canine family? And so at this point, I'm like, wow, I'm being come at by a lady in in, and, and in she, Starbucks, was but it was she wearing a leather vest. Well, she was wearing like you know that uniform, but I've got to assume based on her comments that it wasn't real. But I say leather because it, that's what it looked like. Okay. But yeah, that's true. That's pretty ironic. Um, and I just thought, and then, so I asked her, "Oh, do you want to pet it?" And she didn't care for that comment. Um, but it was like really fun for me because that was my penultimate Seattle experience, like getting called out by a. The PC police, the animal rights activists in a Starbucks, you know, because Starbucks is the home, is home in Washington. And I, I was very excited by it. It was my titular uh, Seattle experience. And then I proceeded to wear that hat every single day after that. It's a great hat. It looks good on you. All right. Thanks, babe. This is where I've been. I This weekend, I drove to Little Rock, Arkansas. I got to drive. I was complaining a little bit last week about flying so much. Uh, not complaining about being able to fly. I'm very lucky in that manner, but just complaining about the flight type of stuff in general. Uh, this flight I'm going to be taking tomorrow. I fly out at 10 a.m. And then on Sunday when I fly home, I catch a plane at 10 a.m., which is so great. I'm very excited by that. Normally, I'm catching a flight at 6 a.m. So I'm very excited that I'm doing 10 a.m. flights. But anyway, so I got to drive last week and I drove to Little Rock. I did a show there. Um, yeah, it was pretty fun. I never really did stuff in Little Rock outside of the Looney Bin. Um, so it was nice to branch out a bit, be downtown Little Rock. I enjoyed it. I was told I got a hotel that was really nice, uh, fairly nice. And the guy, uh, Carter B., who booked my hotel, he was like, you're fine inside the hotel. He said, just don't go walking around outside. And I was like, oh, okay. He was like, yeah, a guy was murdered just right around this corner the other night. And I was like, okay, well, great. Wow. So, but the hotel was fine. And then the next day I drove to Tulsa, Oklahoma, where I had done some stuff in Tulsa before. I, uh, a bar that I did years ago called Sound Pony. I really had a great time there. And from talking to some other people, I, it seems like most people don't have good shows at Sound Pony. But I had a great time there. Now, now I mean comedy-wise, and I don't mean that it's I not, had a good show there too. Yeah. I mean just talking to some people, they, the one guy was like, yeah, he's like, I think you're the only person and maybe one other person 
who said such great things about the Sound Pony. But I love it. I think it's a great play. I think it's very cool, and I love the show. And and then I did a second show there. Um, uh, but normally I do the Looney Bin there as well. But this time I got booked at a jazz club uh, uh, by the Blue Well Comedy. They have a Blue Well Comedy Festival, so now they're doing – uh, more shows and this place was called Duet Restaurant and Jazz. Very nice place. Uh, other funny comics on both of those shows with me, and I liked that a lot. And then I went out uh, with a guy named Rick Shaw. Uh, it's a stage name. Rick Shaw and Dusty, huh? Yeah, and uh, we hung out a bit. <laughs> and then the next day, I had to drive from there to Oakwood, Illinois, which was eight and a half hours. So I stopped in in Springfield, Missouri and hung out with my friend Christopher Michael Ray of the Blue Room Comedy Club and the headliner that weekend, Chris Cope. So we hung out, had some lunch at, at Billiards at the Blue Room. And then um, from there I headed on to Oakwood and then on Saturday I did a show in Oakwood at the Exit 210 Saloon, uh, which was you know a, a bar just out in the middle of nowhere. It's called Exit 210. 2- 10 saloon so was that, was that the name of the exit that people got off it was that's uh man they did not try to think of a name for that huh well it's easy to find and uh <laughs> was, was it popping was it popular it was great yeah i mean it was really full um i mean everywhere i went it was like spring break right and was it spring break recently yeah okay so it's like you know i don't know people are doing other things they're not spring breaking and seeing me so, uh, but I had a, a pretty good turnout everywhere I went, surprisingly, uh, considering I've never been to a lot of, you know, I never really done much in Little Rock outside of Looney Bin. I don't go to Tulsa a bunch and I've never been to Oakwood, uh, but I had good comics that worked with me all along the way, all very funny people. I feel like the Midwest is the real South. Uh, well, I don't know if that even really makes sense. I just but. feel like it has no personality. Why would that be the real South? I don't know. Because, like, people shit on the South. And I just feel like, have you been to the Midwest? Well, it, they only do because of the personality that the South has. I guess so. You don't make fun of per- people with no personality, really. There's nothing to make fun of, you know? So, uh, but no, I, I love the Midwest. I love the South. And now I've, I'm really getting into loving Texas and Arizona. I'm doing shows there. And I had such a great time. And, you know, I just – at the Exit 210 Saloon, my green room was a, was an RV uh, behind the building. That's very on brand. So I just – yeah, I just went out and sat in this nice RV and uh, it was like a – it felt like a little bit of a casino vibe there. It felt – honestly, it felt a little bit like the double deuce from the movie Roadhouse after they cleaned it up. Like they had huge bouncers that work there and it was very locked down. And, you know, it felt like a real, like, casino vibe to it. And, uh, but... Was there gambling going on? I don't know. I say that there was a salad bar. It was a taco bar they had. Oh, okay. There's a lot going on. A lot going on. And I sold a bunch of merch. A lot of people bought my shirts and my hats. And uh, it was very fun. And That's then, great. So you really you, got around this weekend. I did. I did a lot of driving. Yeah. I got a GoPro and hooked it to the dash of my car so I was able to film the places I was going, which that's going to be fun because the next couple of weeks I'm going to be able to drive after this weekend. Uh, and I'll just go ahead and say this weekend I'm going to go to Rochester, New York to a place called uh, Comedy at the Carlson. And I've heard nothing but great things about it. 
I'm very excited to go there. I have five shows this weekend, one Thursday, two Friday, two Saturday. Go to my Facebook fan page, Dusty Slay, or my Instagram for more information or carlsoncomedy.com. That's great. And I'm going to Brevard, North Carolina on Friday night. I'm doing a show at DFR. And I'm headlining that show. And my friend Blair Nias is going to be on the show as well. It's going to be a female comedian extravaganza. I'm really excited about that. And then on Saturday, I'm going to be in Asheville, North Carolina, doing some shows on Gilbert's show uh, in North Gilbert's Carolina. Gilbert's show? Yeah. Gilbert Lala? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's great. Nice yeah. Day. I mean, I, I just, uh, I'm just going to stop by. I don't think I'm uh, doing a ton of time, but uh, it's on my way home, you know, so I like to like to make some connectors. Yes. So that's what I'm going to be doing back in the South, baby. All right. Back in the South. Self-care tips. Taking care of you. So Hannah learned this weekend on the road that she is an introvert. Yeah. Something I've known all along. Did you? Yeah, of course. Why didn't you tell me? Well, I don't, I, because I, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't think about it. So I wasn't like in my head. I wasn't like Hannah's an introvert. But <laughs> why did you think I'm an introvert? Well, you don't really like to go. I mean, I, I don't feel like that <laughs> you really like to hang out with people. <laughs> not that you don't like them, but you're not that into hanging out. And uh, whenever you hang out with my friends or or, or people in my family. You tend to be more quiet, and I feel like that a lot of times people think that you're rude or you're mad when you're not. You're just you're just not that talkative. Yeah. And that's fine. It's okay to be that way. See, it's bizarre to me because I've always identified as an extrovert, and this kind of sounds like I'm trying to do a bit, which I am. I am going to try to unpackage it for stand-up, but uh, – I always thought I was an extrovert and I thought I was extroverted because I always feel like I'm talking a lot and I always like talking to people. But what I realized is I like talking to people one on one. I don't I tend to shut down if there's a group of people, specifically a group of people that I don't know very well or I feel maybe uncomfortable around like I can't be myself. But I love having heart to hearts with people and I feel I can become a real motor mouse. So that's why I thought I was extroverted because I love talking. But I guess one of the key things of being an introvert is they do prefer one-on-one, heart-to-hearts, and very a select few intimate relationships as opposed to a large group of friends, which is definitely me. Yeah, see, I would prefer to talk to a large group as opposed to one-on-one. Oh, wow. That's interesting. Do you think you're extroverted? I don't know. I just think that I get to perform then, right? Well, that's the other interesting thing is – you know, when we would hang out with your family that one time we were at a wedding and your friend like asked me if I was mad and I was like so annoyed that he oh, said that to me. that's not my family. That'd be my friends. Yeah, right. But I think it makes me feel weird because I'm thinking – That'd be – if any of my friends from Opelika listen, that'd be uh, that'd be John Sullivan. That yeah. That came up to Hannah and he goes – he goes, uh, and if you know John, you, you'll get it. But he was like, are you pissed? He said that yeah. to her. Are you pissed? She was like, what? Well, this is the thing. If a woman's not smiling and she's quiet, people just think she's angry. And I wasn't angry. I just honestly maybe felt a little out of my element with all Dusty's high school friends from Alabama in Alabama at a wedding where I don't know anyone. And and it and I do feel weird because I'm thinking in my head, but I'm an I'm an entertainer. This is who what I do. I'm bubbly, I'm outgoing. But then when I find myself in those circumstances, I do become a wallflower. So when I was on this trip with these girls, Sophia and Christine, 
when we would go out together, we would, you know, run into the producers. We'd go out for lunch with people. We'd be clowning around before and after shows. And they typically would be very outgoing and talkative and clowning around with any witch person. And I would tend to be quieter because, first of all, in my head, I'm thinking, well, they got this. And second of all, I'm just... I, if I don't know what to say, I would rather err on not saying anything as opposed to, I don't know, just forcing myself to say something when I'm not adding anything. But then, like a few days into the trip, I called myself an extrovert in our hotel room, and they started laughing. And I'm like, what are you laughing at? And they're like, you're not extroverted. You're a huge introvert. And they called me a wallflower, and they started really bullying me, honestly. And <laughs> well, I don't think there's anything wrong with being an introvert. Well, the weird thing for me and is I like I was always like attacking introverts. I've written jokes about how introverts think they're so mysterious and cool and like and then I would always be like extroverts are the best. Like we have so much to say and we bring the life to the party and I'm like it's the whole time. And, and if I had known I was an introvert, I, I would have know that joke. Why? Yeah, I mean, it never went anywhere, probably because it wasn't based in truth, you know, now that I think of it. But yes. I, I mean, if I had known I was an introvert, like my 20s, I would have forced myself to go out more because I thought I was just an extrovert that just really loved reading books on Friday nights. Like people be like, yeah. oh, come to these parties. And I'd be like, oh, I got this book I'm going to read. Yeah, you, you know? like to read so much. Yeah. And, and I but but I always have felt guilty that I should go to parties more. I should take people up on their offers of friendship more. But I just some people don't say, like it. Say that smartphones like really ruined reading, you know. And I'm like, well, not for me. Not for me. Not for me. I never was reading, and I'm not reading now. And the phone didn't. The phone. The only thing the phone does is now I'm not staring at the wall. I'm uh, staring at my phone. Yeah, I mean, I cannot. I cannot read. Yeah, you don't read. Yeah, I'm not a reader. Yeah, I mean, you buy books sometimes, but you don't read them. I like collecting things. <laughs> yeah, I'm a collector. Yeah. Wow. So you're a non-reading extrovert and I'm a reading introvert. And the other thing about me that I realized, which is a real dichotomy, is that I'm also a closeted party girl because the whole trip I didn't drink or do drugs or anything like that. And then the last couple days of the trip, I was like, let's do it. And the in the extreme focus and hyper focus that I put into my writing, my introversion, I then put into my party, partiness. So... If I decide I'm getting drunk, I'm like, let's, let's do it. And I can really be on one. And that was kind of the interesting thing. It's like I'm an introvert until I'm, you know, raging. It's like I'm a, I'm an introverted well, party girl. I want to be quiet and rage. Well, I'll, yeah, I mean I, I, that's what I used to say. I used to think that I really liked talking to people. Uh, but turns out I was just drunk all the time. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, when I think about you when you were drinking, I just think you would have been such like a popular, fun guy. Like oh, you just would have been the life time. of the party. Yeah, to a point. And I would have never hung out with you because I'd be like, he's too much. Oh, that's not true. <laughs> I, I think we would have been living different lives. We would definitely, I would definitely be living a different life if I were still drinking. Yeah. I would still be selling pesticides, that's for sure. Yeah, and I'm actually really thankful that I drink alcohol because if it wasn't for alcohol, I probably never would do anything. 
And luckily, I don't have a problem with it. Well, I think that sometimes, yeah, I mean, having a few drinks really helps open people up. It's when people, and I don't think that's really a problem, but it's when people are just raging all the time. Yeah, that's a problem. So it was a really eye-opening trip because you kind of see yourself through the eyes of other people. And, you know, I hang out with Dusty all the time. So you always tell me that I live in my head, which I guess I knew. But it's so weird. I'm, like, in my 30s, and I had no idea I was an introvert. Like, what is, like... Man, like, what am I, I going to discover in my 40s? Like, I just I'm really don't think a dude. people are think. There's no need to think in terms of that. There's no, I know. I don't think people are walking around going, am I an introvert or am I an extrovert? It's like, I, I don't think people are thinking I think it's terms. helpful, though, to understand how you are in the world because you can accept things about yourself easier that way and not try to be something that you're not. Like, you know, I, I always want to be, like, the fun, bubbly, like, Amy Poehler, life of the party, the girl's girl. Everybody loves her. Like, oh, I love that girl. I want to be that girl where, like, I come up with conversation and people are like, oh, my gosh, she's so fun. But, like, I'm never going to be that girl. I'm always like, who is that girl? What's her deal? She's moody. But that's fine. Yeah, it's okay to be moody. Yeah. find out uh oh we just got uh, a bed she got a new bed we finally got the bed i don't know if i had the bed last podcast or not but i've never owned my own bed i've talked about this before i've gotten a nice bed now and i feel like that i need to preface it to everyone that i talk to because I'm almost so uncomfortable owning nice things that I need to let people know that I've never had <laughs> nice things and that this is it's I finally have a nice thing and uh, but I have a bought a king size bed uh, now again it's weird because he's making me sleep on the couch now yes I can make a new bed I can make a used bed last for years all right this this bed Hannah Hannah never slept on never laid on. But I'm just going to tell you about this bed. I probably talked about it already. I probably gave the whole rundown of it, but I want to do it again. I think it's fun. My sister and brother-in-law, they lived in the trailer that me and my mom lived in after me and my mom moved out, right? And they had a bed in that trailer. And they moved out, and I moved back into that trailer at 19. So at 19, I moved back into that trailer. They gave me their old bed. Now, this bed, this was 2001, I think. And this bed was a little old. I got it. <laughs> and then in late 2003, I moved to Charleston, and I took that bed with me. And I moved once, and then I moved again, and then I moved downtown. And then around 2005, I moved from downtown Charleston to Folly Beach. And I was driving over the connector bridge from downtown to James Island, which is a bridge over the harbor, a lot of wind. I had one strap holding this mattress, and I put the strap around the back of the mattress so that it wouldn't uh, wouldn't slide off the back. But I'm looking into the rearview mirror – 
and the mattress flies up like a sheet of paper and floats through the air and I watch it in the rearview mirror just get <laughs> smaller and smaller and then my friend is following behind in my car and it hits uh, the bridge, traffic everywhere. My friend runs right over the oh mattress. We pull over, jump out. I grab the mattress, throw it back into the truck and the corner of it was warped where my friend had run over it and it was really messed up and I kept that bed for the next five years uh sleeping on it sleeping on it and the last year that i had it i moved back downtown and me and my friend were moving it and i was telling him how embarrassed i was at this furniture i had i had this furniture that was a whole bedroom set that my sister and brother-in-law bought for themselves when they first got married it had 80s written all over it it was black with gold trim and it was just it had a matching chest of drawers uh, 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 dresser and bed and I said to my friend I was like oh I'm so embarrassed I had this and he took a look at the mattress which was ripped and stained and gross and he goes what's embarrassing is this mattress and we took it upstairs and then and took it into the apartment. We ran into the apartment. I didn't want anyone to see it. And in 2012, I got sober, and I was just laying on that bed one night, and I had no plan to get a new bed, and I was like, I have to get rid of this bed. And I, one night at like 3 in the morning, after the bars were closed and everybody was gone, I drug it outside and threw it into a dumpster outside of Burns Alley. And, and the, the mattress was so old and gross that I was able to throw it in and then fold it over and just step on it and just push it down. And you shouldn't be able to do that to a mattress. So I had that mattress for a long time. And now I have a king-size Tempur-Pedic mattress, and it is so nice <laughs> and so comfortable. And it's mine and Hannah's first bed. Yeah, because we've been sleeping in a bed that Dusty got from his friend – when his friend moved to New York City. So his friend lived slept in that bed for a few years and then gave it to Dusty. But Dusty had other girl friends, you know, and I need to put my foot down with things like this sometimes. But I was just kind of like, yeah, it's fine. Don't think much about it. But then we get married and we're just sleeping in it. And then it's an old, it starts to get old, so it sinks in the middle. It was actually still really comfortable, which is why I think we deferred getting a new one for so long. But... Now we have a bed and we it's it's ours now and no one else has, you know, been in our bed of matrimony and it's very exciting. And also, when you were sleeping on this old mattress that you're talking about, I mean, you had my money, you had a job in your 20s. Like, couldn't you have afforded a, a mattress? I made really good money, but I drank and ate like i mean i ate really nice restaurants i drank nice liquor i Did went you wear out. like collared shirts and I, stuff. I dressed really nice oh my gosh yeah i mean i would never look that nice because i was so sweaty <laughs> <laughs> we have pictures of dusty from when he was in his 20s and we call him fat dusty because yes. he was fat and he was dusty and he was fat dusty and he looks older in those pictures from his 20s than he does now. 
Now he just looks like a young Santa. We're, yeah. we're looking forward to Dusty getting gray hair because he's just going to look like Santa. That's true. That is true. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we got our own bed. We got a new bed. We got a new apartment. And... That's yeah, it, I mean, really. I mean, the new apartment is so – I mean, it's all so great. I mean, things have been going well in comedy. I feel very blessed uh, to be able to uh, do the things that I'm able to do. But I just – it's just so important to live in a place that you enjoy. I mean, the Hendersonville can uh, – I can't even yeah, I mean, say what I have to say about it. I just – there's so many things about Hendersonville that actually are nice. Like, I like the people most of the time that I encounter. No, the people were the worst. They talking trash. They talking smack. Telling so many lies. I know they're full of crap. That's okay. Haters gonna hate. Uh-huh. I'll play at Stinky's Joke Barn with them any day. They, they, they talking trash. But, um... There was no people. They were just... I, I enjoyed robots. the people. I did not enjoy, like, customer service type things. But I don't know. I found a lot of – I walked out of a lot of places. There was no sidewalks. There was no community. You couldn't just walk to a coffee shop. Like it, it was just all interstates and We lived roads. in a weird place. Like we lived almost like in the middle of Goodlettsville, Madison, and Hendersonville, and there was nowhere to go. There was nowhere to walk to. And honestly, I think our biggest frustration was the local businesses. I mean those people out there just don't know anything I, about I, customer service. Like everywhere we would go, it was just these – just I yelled at some people. Like, in just a people Joanne's. missing a chromosome or something. Yeah. They're just so slow moving and they're just unhelpful. And you're like, what? I Who walked, is the manager here? I stormed out of the bank. Uh, I stormed out of the bank one day in Hendersonville. And the other day, I was at the bank on this side of town. And the lady came around from the counter and gave me a card and shook my hand. So I was like, uh, you know. Yeah. And then. Uh, but it's like, you and know. And then I, I yelled at some people in Joanne's Fabrics and stormed out. Yeah. Uh, I walked out. Uh, what are some other places? Uh, are there any other places in Hendersonville? That I, I, yeah, the Thai mad? place. Oh, the Thai place. Yeah, I didn't get mad at them, but I mean, I didn't, yeah, we get, did. I didn't yell at them. We though. walked out. We walked out, but we didn't yell at them. Um, yeah, I mean, environment is so important. And I think, you know, even with our, our place here, um, I said, you know, let's. I'm going to try to get some nice art and I'm going to try to put some you know, pretty style, Hasn't stylization. Yet, well, I've been yet, here though. for two days yeah. um, and I probably won't do it. <laughs> but I, I do think that that stuff affects, affects your, your, your mood and your personality. And I remember when I was in my twenties, it 20s, felt I, a bit like a cave. It felt like a cave and, and um, there's not a lot of natural light at our old place. And when I was in my twenties, I stayed in a, a basement apartment for a little while and I made a rule after that that I would never stay in a basement apartment because you pay less but it's you feel it you feel it you feel living under the earth and it's dank and it's yeah, kind this, of cold and you, this place your is very whole nice. MO changes I bought a cheap stud finder because I want to hang my TV on the wall and the stud finder I think the sheetrock here is too thick for the stud finder to find the studs so I called the front desk and I was like, hey, do you guys have a better stud finder or maybe somebody that knows where the studs are at? She was like, I'll do you one better. I'll have someone come up and install it for you. Yeah. And I was like, well, great. And I told the place at my old apartment complex that my floor mat got stolen, my welcome mat. And they almost laughed like, oh, that's so weird that that happened. But they didn't 
I don't know what I wanted them to do, but whatever they did was not the right thing. I just think people, I don't think that then, the idiom is true anymore. The customer is always right. Like, I just don't feel like, generally speaking, the places that I go to, yeah. the customer is right. It's sort of like, the, uh, I'm doing my job. I hate my job. I'm not going to be nice to you. I'm a depressed person that gets the, to give you attitude. And the customer service place that we didn't like around here, EO and the Hive or whatever, yeah. we thought that was terrible customer service. By the time we came back, Shut down. Shut down. Shut down. But the dollar store is still going strong. And I went in there the other day and I had a very nice conversation with the lady working there. So that tells you something. Yeah, it tells me that you're really blending in with the Southern folk, that you're in but the dollar store having conversations. To be fair, though, 10 years ago when I was a waitress, I was a terrible waitress because obviously now that you know that I'm an introvert, I get a little overwhelmed dealing with so many people all at one time. And I did sort of give up on that job about three months in, even though I proceeded to work there for two years. Wow. I waited tables for a long time, but I could quickly become irritated with a table. I mean, it wasn't even like I was irritated. It was just kind of like I didn't care. Yeah. But that's probably why I'm not a waitress. I'd get irritated fast. Yeah. Well, it's just like, ugh. Well, people, it's just I like, just come on. You want more butter? What's wrong with you? <laughs> Even in the uh, uh, somewhere I was at the bank or something, I just watched the guy approach the teller and the way he spoke to the teller. I was just like, "Geez, dude, that person back there is a person. Yeah, that teller is a real person." Talk to them like a real person. Well, every time I order something, every time I go into like a Starbucks or anywhere, any kind of food place, uh, and I'm cashing out with someone, I always say, hi, how are you, first. I mean, I'm not just trying yeah. to go in and give give them orders. I know that they're working, and they're probably tired, and probably a lot of people aren't very polite to them. So I always try to be like that. Well, let's, let's find um, what's some song that you've been listening to lately. Do you have a song? Well, the girls listen to a lot of rap. We'll be riding wild Um, And they played this one song, um, but it's actually kind of, there's cuss words in it because it's rap. So I don't think it's... I want to play a little bit of this song. This is one of my favorites by Guy Clark off the album Dublin Blues. All right. I just want to play a little bit. I've been playing a little music, and I'd like to do it. That's fun, Dusty. This is called Stuff That Works. I think Dublin Blues is a really good Guy Clark album. It's maybe my favorite one of his. Uh, But check this out. longer intro than I remembered. <laughs> Here goes. I got an old blue shirt and it suits me just fine. I like the way it feels so I wear it all the time. I got an old guitar won't ever stay in tune. Like the way it sounds in a dark and empty room. I got an old pair of boots and they fit just right. Well, I can work all day, 
See, I like this song. Now, the first time I heard that song, I have a blue denim shirt that I really like to wear. And the beginning of that song, he says, I got an old blue shirt. Uh, I like the way it feels, and I wear it all the time, you know? And then he talked about, I got an old used car, and he said, I got a feeling it ain't never going to stop. And I was driving my Volvo, which had 315,000 miles. And as much as I like my new car, it does – that song makes me a little sad for my car because I genuinely wanted to see how far I could push that car. But I drive so much that I was worried I was going to break down in some weird place. But Which for sure would have happened. But we don't know. That's the that, And that's the problem is that you think that it for sure would have happened. My dad thought that I should have got rid of the car when it had 150,000 miles. I mean – Everyone says that the car shouldn't have lasted as long as it did, but yet it kept going, and I wanted to see how far. But anyway, I like that song a lot. I think that's very fun. And he also has another one on here called The Cape, uh, which is just about a guy uh, that's – that's you know it's, it seems like it's more about like a daredevil type guy. But it's a, he has a line in there. He says uh, – uh, he didn't know he couldn't fly, so he did. You know, it's like the idea that to me it says that you know people tell you that you can't do certain things, uh, and a lot of times if you logically think about them, you go, "Well, you're right. That's probably not going to work. That's probably not the right way to go. So I probably shouldn't do it." Right? Like if someone's if you say, well, "I can't fly," so you don't jump off the building, right? But He's like, he didn't know he couldn't fly, so he did, right? He, he didn't think about it logically. He just did it. And I think it's a great song. I'm just going to play just, a, just a, a little snippet of it. Great song. Asleep at the Will also has a version of this song that I like a lot. Sleep at the Will is a kind of a western swing band. Eight years old with a flower sack cape tied all around his neck. He climbed up on the garage, he's figuring what the heck. Screwed his courage up so tight that the whole thing come unwound. Got a running start and bless his heart, he headed for the ground. Well, he's one of those who knows that life is just a leap of faith. Spread your arms and hold your breath and always trust your cape. Aw, that's I love it. fun it's great, and isn't cute, it? Dusty. So then it goes through, you know, this guy's whole life uh, in the song and so good and then the so- song ends with a or the the album ends with a song called the randall knife and it's just about a knife that his dad had that you know and it just was uh, i don't know it's good i feel like it's a good like emotional like uh father son song uh, so i don't know i feel like that that is very fun i i really like guy clark a lot 
I mean, uh, I, I, I mean that that his first album was out in 1975, and then Dublin Blues was out in 1995. But there's some off his first album that I like a lot. Desperados, Waiting for a Train, L.A. Freeway, um, Let Him Roll. I mean, all of those. Um, yeah, it's much different than the music I was listening to the past two weeks. Like, gotta get that money. You ain't nothing. I'm gonna get it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that's the thing. It's I mean, very, too, it's that's, very like, oh my gosh, I'm not good enough, but I'm better than you. Well, that's where so much music has gone. I mean, rap really gets the reputation of being the uh, that kind of music, but so much music has gone the the way of. Uh, let me tell you how much I have. Uh, everything I got, everything I'm gonna get drunk. I'm gonna have sex, and it's like I feel like the poetry is lost in a lot of it. Like, well, some of it's really. I mean, it's it's the thing I like a, a best about rap is like uh, the funny lyrics and the funny writing and the funny rhyming. But then sometimes the content. I don't want to be a white person being like the content in rap music, but it's like. I don't know. Sometimes you're just kind of like, what am I listening to? Like, why? Like, it just makes me think of like materialism a lot. And I don't, I don't like yeah, that. I don't think your race has anything to do with you judging well, content. I, well, I mean, I think it's pertinent to point that out, though, when you're criticizing rap music, which is predominantly. Uh, well, Eminem has a lot of terrible content his songs yeah you know what i mean but, but that, eminem at his best was funny and i think like that's what i like the best about rap is like the clever writing and the and the right. rhyming but, and, and the beats too or some of them but like some of it you're just kind of like man this is really dark they're on a lot of pills and they're trying to be famous like it's i don't know well that's what yeah i mean i think so much music now is all about doing substances and having sex and uh and it's just like but also, I don't listen to a lot of music. So I'm I. The other thing I hate about country music, it's always like, "Gonna get my beer, gonna get down to the football right. game, and I'm gonna get my woman who I love." I mean, it's like there's so many cliches in every genre if you really think about it. Right. Well, that's what I mean. It's like in a lot of it really perpetuates bad stereotypes. New music has really lost kind of the poetry of some of that stuff, and uh, you know, but. Uh, Guy Clark has a, a a great song about homegrown tomatoes, and uh, it's very fun. <laughs> well, I don't really get down with your music. It's like too chill, and it's a lot of like just old timey men singing about you know vegetables and <laughs> stuff like that. But what do I like? I mean, I don't know. Here it is. I like whatever song gets stuck in my head. I can't hear it. It's not going yet. I don't Sounds know like what's happening. Sounds like he's killing someone. Well, there ain't nothing in the world that I like better than bacon and lettuce and homegrown tomatoes. Yeah, but that, see, that's so country, right? They're like, hell, that's my life, too. I like bacon and tomato, too. And so... Someone that likes rap music listens to that. They're like, man, country music's so stupid. Well, I bet there are a lot of black people that like bacon, lettuce, and homegrown tomatoes. So <laughs> don't don't be so sure. <laughs> I mean, maybe we should just accept that people are pretty basic and they're fueled by food, well, people beer, just, women, I, and making money. Well, it just is people just like things. I think it goes back to what I said at the very beginning. Is like when I started doing these 
states and towns where they had you know a different demographic than what I was used to. I was nervous about it, but at the heart of it all, it's like Hispanic people get my trailer park jokes too. You know what I mean? We all get it. You yeah, know? and we're all just in it to have a good time which is what I'm all about. We're just having a good time. Now, how can an overweight person have fun at my show if I'm making fun of overweight people? It's not me being PC. It's me wanting everyone to have a good time. You know what I mean? If an anorexic person shows up to the show, I want them to have a good time. I don't want to be like, let me talk about skinny people. You know what I mean? Yeah. And Guy Clark, he never was hugely famous. that I know of and there's uh, you know but that's why I think when people are true artists or breakout artists it's when they exist within their genre but they're doing something really different that they're not just you know playing into the same tropes and the same content as everybody else so I mean I, I can't I'm not even enough of a music fan to be able to show you that but I mean like Drake sort of broke out because he was being really emotional in his lyrics and he wasn't talking about being a gangster because he's you know not a gangster he grew up fairly affluent and he was like a child tv star but he connected to audiences by talking about his emotions by talking about pretty mundane young 20s things and he wasn't yeah. trying to be hard and so people appreciated that he was at least honestly being soft and um you know something like nirvana you know they really broke out uh in the early 90s amongst you know, the hair metal, seemingly feminine flamboyance of the 80s hard rock, you know, because they just sort of took a different angle and, and started a new way of looking at things. So I think that, you know, the genre is not the problem. It's just unoriginality within it. That doesn't personally speak to me, but I mean, obviously, country music and rap music is very popular. Um, what about this guy? And I like certain artists within each genre. No. Sure is cold today. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what is this? Walking down 66. Wish she had done me that way. Oh, it was a woman that hurts your feelings. I never heard that in country before. That's Charlie Pride. Yeah. Yeah. I mean. Oh. And then sometimes you just get sucked into the star power. Like I got sucked into Ariana Grande for a little while and I was like, look at her story. She was, you know, she got a terrorist attack and then she dated a comedian and her ex-boyfriend died. And then you just get sucked into the to the brand. And you're like, I don't even know if I like her music, but I'm more interested in how she's working out her life via her music. So you, yeah. there's so many different ways to be sucked into a, the cult of personality. Well, and it's um, like that's what happened with 50 Cent. You know, he got shot up and then all of a sudden we're like, OK, yeah, we're into 50 Cent. Well, I got shot nine times and I don't walk with a limp. I mean, that's a hard that's a hard lyric. Yeah. Just like Johnny Cash. I shot a man in Reno just to watch him die. Yeah. Like, we like a hard poetic lyric. Yeah. Like, I got shot nine times and I don't walk with a limp. It's like that's that's a pretty hard but also poetic type thing. 50 Cent. uh the two songs that he put out with Eminem, Patiently Waiting, and uh, I mean, I, there was one more that me and my friend, I mean, we, this was early 2000s, and we were just jamming to that because it was so, the poetry was there. That's what people enjoy is the poetry of stuff. Right, and that's what I'm saying with like rap. It's the best when 
you know, you get some amazing lyricists and stuff like that. And I'm sure all the people that are big right now have all that, but it also is seemingly co-mingled with a lot of like, I think unhealthy, unhealthy for me anyways, unhealthy motivations or ambitions. I I think country uh, at its best is a lot like the blues and it's got a lot of guitar uh, the guitar will be a little different, you know, be steel guitar and, and, and a fiddle and uh, stuff like that. And I think country is at its best to me when it when it is a, a little a bit of a jam or a bit of a blues. And uh, I think that country and blues is a really good blend. I think they go well together. Um, you know, Willie Nelson and um, Ray Charles have a great song called Seven Spanish Angels. And that song, that'll make you cry. It's amazing. So good. Yeah, I mean, I think it's great. You're a real music person, and that's really good for your soul, I think. You're also a happy person, but you seem to listen to a lot of sad music, so I think there's something to that. Maybe so. And I'm a, I don't know what kind of person I am. I'm not like a sad person, but I'm not. Well. I'm kind of just normal. Before we get out of here, I think we should okay. wrap up soon. Uh, I like playing a little music there. I don't. I like that segment. Yeah, I like that too. I like doing that. Uh, I tell you what, I uh, uh, Gazzi just put out a new Netflix special called The Tennessee Kid. I haven't watched it yet. I've heard nothing but great things. I had a friend uh, text me that uh, he really he does comedy, but he hates everyone. He texted me this morning and it was like it's it's so good. And I just listened to his album, uh, Full Time Magic, which has been out for a little while, and I really enjoyed it too. So I think Nate is really on a roll. Nashville comic, really on a roll. I would say check that out. I really like it. I listened to John Reap's album, Ginger Pain, uh, and I liked it a lot. I thought it was really funny. Um, and then any any comedy you've listened to lately that you recommend? No, but I do um, I do love Nate Bargatze. He's so funny. And, um, yeah, and, and the way he's kind of doing it is also really cool because I know he lived in – New York City in LA and then he relocated with his family back to Nashville and has seemingly successfully made that transition to be able to still be having a flourishing career while at the same time not paying the exorbitant prices of Los Angeles and you know just live in all the other kind of weird things that come from you know living in a in a city that's a little bit overwhelming and just to reiterate my um uh Social media is at Dusty Slay, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Dusty Slay Comedy. And I will be this weekend, 28th through the 30th in Rochester, New York at Comedy at the Carlson. Next week, the 4th through the 6th, I'll be at Crackers Comedy Club in Indianapolis. And then the week after that will be the Nashville Comedy Festival, which Hannah and I will both be doing shows here. And we'll be on a show together, my show, uh, April 10th, the Grand Old Comedy Show. Dusty Slay's Grand Old Comedy Show as part of the Nashville Comedy Festival, April 10th. Hannah will be on that. And then the 12th, I'll be back at the Grand Old Opry. That's fun, Dusty. Yes, it is fun. And we got I got several things coming up, but that's just a few weeks down the road. Hannah will be in Brevard, North Carolina, and Asheville, North Carolina coming up. And Hannah Hogan, uh, uh, her... Instagram and Twitter is Miss Hannah Hogan, and she, oh yeah, I'm fully back on the she gram. She is back on social media. And when you read Hannah, sometimes people will reach out to me and ask if Hannah's okay, and <laughs> uh, I'll say yes. She likes to go on social media and get a little dark, 
And it's uh, not like I like doing it. I just yeah. think sometimes we all know this. Uh, the things you put out on social media aren't don't necessarily match the person that you talk to in real life. And that's part of the reason I quit social media because I was like, you know, like, why am I so crazy? Hannah you know? disappears for a while that she comes back like daily damaged advice. You yeah. Know? And it's like. Uh, but it's sort of like, I don't know what else to say, y'all. Yeah. I don't know what else to say. So just whatever. I'm a, I'm you know I'm a little unhinged. What are you gonna do? But she's back. I'm back. We'll be back next week. Uh, thanks for listening. Go listen to that music, Guy Clark Dublin Blues. You'll love that. Dusty, it's also really nice to be back home with you. It's nice to I be back you. home with you too. I missed you. Well, I'm happy to be back with you, mm. and we're having a good time. We're having a great time. I'm Dusty. I'm Hannah. This is. 